I'd like to turn you back to Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, where we read just a little while ago. And we have entitled the message simply tonight, The Power of Christ. Let's just unite our heart together, a word of prayer as we come to consideration of this passage. And the Lord might bless and speak to our hearts this evening. Father in heaven, we do thank thee for thy presence already. And in thy presence there is fullness of joy. Not thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And O oh God, we've come, Lord. And we just want to lift up our adoration and our praise to thee, just as the angels do, as we've been singing about. And thou art worthy of all our praise. And O oh God, we pray that I might, Lord, bring us into this passage, give us understanding, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear. Oh, Lord, we know, we know many a time, Lord, we did it ourselves. We can sit through even the preaching of a sermon and goes in one ear and out the other. But, oh, God, we pray that I would make a difference tonight. And I would, Lord, come and deal with men and women's hearts. And we pray, Lord, that thy word would run to be glorified and that Christ might be exalted and lifted up far above all. Oh, God, will you answer prayer? Will thy Lord still us in thy presence? May we stand back and see the salvation of our God. Thank the Lord we're dealing with the power of Christ tonight. It's not something that is ancient history. It is relevant to this very night. Thank the Lord thy power is still the same. And O oh God, we plead that thou might manifest it even in this congregation. Lord, do it for Jesus' sake. To that end, fill us with thy spirit and with power. Give me those words that must and shall prevail. Give us those prevailing words, we pray. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The day before, the Lord had been in the city of Capernaum. It is there that he came across the centurion whose servant was sick. And while the Jews felt that here was a man that was worthy, that the Lord could go to his house, yet when he realized the Savior was on his way, he was to convey the message that he was unworthy. And he believed that the Lord but spoke the word, then his servant would be healed. You know, there's only two occasions that it is recorded in the Gospels where the Lord marveled. One of them is in Mark chapter 6 and he marveled because of their unbelief. And the other's here. He marveled at the great faith of the centurion. Remember the centurion wasn't a Jew, he was a Roman. But leaving Capernaum where much of his earthly ministry was based from, he arrives at another city about 25 miles away. It's called Nain. Scripture verses are often arranged to betray great contrast. And here's another one. From one place to another. But what a difference. The Lord was to say to the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 21 and verse 8, And unto this people I shall say, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. And there's a sense in which that is fulfilled even in this very passage, this very chapter. Physically speaking, you see, the Lord had left Capernaum and there was life and there was health given to the servant. 
But the very opposite meets him even before he enters into this other place called Nain. It was a place beautifully situated in the northern edge in the valley of Jezreel. To the north was the tree-covered Mount Tabor. Beyond that in the horizon it would have been the snow-capped Mount Hermon. It was well situated. But before the Lord had entered or arrived even at Nain, there's another visitor that had gone there first. Another visitor had already arrived and showed his power. Nain, it means beauty. But here was a day seemingly where that beauty wasn't on display. There was a cloud over it. It was a dark day because what met the Lord was a funeral procession. The angel of death had already called before him. But the Lord had come on an errand of mercy. And we read that when he saw the principal mourner, he had compassion on her. Things weren't going to stay the same. For when the prince of life meets death, something has to give. And so at the gate of this side, I want you to see the power of Christ. The power of Christ in action. The same power that the unconverted loved one can witness tonight, even in the gospel in this very house. For Christ's power is still the same. He is unchangeable. You'll you'll consider with me, first of all, the crowds meeting. Picture this scene, if you can. The Lord's about to enter into this little place. That's a city. It's only mentioned this once in all the scriptures. A city to this day which has little beauty about it, I understand. We're outside it. it can, its confines remains the burial tombs of centuries past. And it is for that very reason that this particular place is remembered. For you'll notice that where we read these verses, we are confronted with two crowds of people. Not one, but there's two crowds here. You consider the purpose of the crowd. When a crowd gathers, it's usually for some reason or another. We've seen crowds gathering in London. We've seen crowds gathering in Tel Aviv and Israel and other such places, of course. We've known crowds gathering in our own province in many a day. And they're there for a reason. And here there's no difference. For there was the crowd with the Lord. Do you notice the words of verse 11, it says, and it came to pass the day after he went into a city called Nain, and many of the disciples went with him, and much people. Not only were the disciples there with the Lord, but there was much people. And uh, their purpose was no doubt to see the power of Christ at work, as they had already done so in Capernaum. You remember Peter as he went in the Acts of the Apostles to the house of Cornelius, and how he preached before that people, a Gentile crowd. He preached to them of Christ, of Christ who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with them. These crowds had seen something that already and now the following day their desire was again to go with the Lord to hear him speak to see his power there's much people with the Lord underline those two words 
But what a contrast there is when you consider the other crowd of people. For look at verse 12. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people. There it is again. Much people of the city was with her. Here in verse 12, we have much people whose character was that of a funeral procession. Whose purpose was to mourn with a widow woman the loss of her only son. This crowd of people were on their way to the burial ground outside the walls of that city. And there is two crowds. They now converge together. The two crowds are meeting. And they met at the very gate of the city. And in considering these crowds, think of the person whom they were following. In the one case, it was the Lord of glory, the blessed Son of God, who took upon himself the form of our nature, was made in the likeness of man, yet without sin. It was the promised Messiah who had come. It was the only Savior of a lost and a dying world. It was the one whom Peter called in Acts chapter 3 and 15, the Prince of Life. It was the Lord Jesus who was leading this great crowd. And with regard to the other crowd, the central figure was a young man cut down in the prime of life. One who was dead. One who was lying on the bier. We would know it today as a coffin. But in those days there wouldn't have been clothes that wouldn't have had sides, etc. It would have been a plank of wood type of description. It's a buyer. And the last great enemy had come again into that house. For when you look into the eyes of the principal mourner, you realize something. You realize that yes, she closely follows the cortege. You realize that she had traversed this way before because the Holy Ghost reminds us that she was a widow. There was a time when the death angel had already called it out home. And now it had done so again. But the heartbreaking thing this time around is that the death angel had robbed her of her only son, the one whom she had depended upon ever since the death of her husband. Yet death, the king of terrors, had struck again. And the many friends and the family. And I believe it's one of those occasions where the heart of the city goes out to a particular woman. Because much people of the city felt that they must go along in that funeral procession. And they join with her in their grief and to express their sorrow. For this great crowd are following the fruits of the death angel. The contrast between these two crowds, it couldn't be any greater. On the one hand there's life and there's the giver of life. On the other hand there's death and there's the fruits of it. Uh, That is also enforced when we consider the pathway that these two crowds were taking. For those who were following the Lord, they were on the pathway which took them into the city. But for the funeral procession, their pathway was one which was taking them to the burial place, to the cemetery. They were moving away from the city. They were going to the grave outside the city's walls. And in bringing that to your attention, the crowds meeting, 
I wonder in what crowd are you found to be in this evening? The crowd of life. For by experience you can say, Preacher, I have known God's salvation. I know everlasting life since the time when the Savior met with me and saved me by His grace. And I'm following the one who is my master tonight. I'm following the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm in the crowd of life. And where does He lead His people? He leads His people toward and through the gates of that new Jerusalem, that new city. He does so because having died and rose again, he became the first fruits of them that slept. He's the victor. He's bringing many sons to glory. Or I wonder, are you still in the crowd which has all the hallmarks of sin about it? Because the scriptures remind us, of course, that sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. That crowd which is motivated by sin, that crowd which follows the great deceiver of man, even the devil himself, who promises much, but alas, all the while, he's bringing you to the grave and beyond to a lost sinner's eternity. There is an eternity of difference between these two crowds. But which one are you found in tonight? For the crowd you're in is either bearing you along to hell or bearing you with them to heaven and to glory. You're one or the other. But having seen the crowd's meeting, I want you to notice the constraint of the Master. Near the gates of the city, what we see and read is that two great enemies had met, life and death, in what was to be a brief battle. There's the prince of life, there's the power of death. And every time that death was to meet with Christ, it had to give up its prey. The Savior had come to this world to destroy the works of him that had the power of death, even the devil. And this surely is demonstrated to us at the gate of Nain. You'll note the constraint of Christ in that he stopped the procession on the way to the graveyard. His heart goes out to this mother in her grief and in her sorrow, this widow. It's clear for all to see her heart was broken as she wept openly at the loss of her son. And it could be that there's a mother tonight, there's a father's heart tonight under the sound of this preacher's voice and it's literally breaking. It's breaking for a child. That child might be still under your care. That child might be gone out from the the, the home place. It might have set up its own home. It might be married this evening. But it's still your child. And that child is still dead in trespasses and in sins. And your heart is breaking over that child. It may be that young person or that adult, that child, they don't see those tears, nor do they hear your concerns over their soul. 
They don't hear your concerns of a heart which seems so careless and so indifferent to the things of God and to the things that are eternal. But there's one who does see and there is one that does know and it is the Lord himself. You know, this woman may not even have seen the Lord approaching. She's so caught up in the sorrow of the moment that you may not have seen the Lord. But you know this, he came to meet her in her need with his word. And in having compassion upon this woman and knowing only too well the effects that sin had brought into this world, he encouraged her to weep not. Now that doesn't mean, of course, that he is forbidding or discouraging the natural emotion to flow at a time of grief. It doesn't mean that. I've often said to those who have been bereaved, don't be ashamed of the tears. Let them flow. It's part of the body's way of healing. I've been more concerned and I've come across it in my ministry where there's a holding back of the emotion and there's a holding back of the tears. It bursts forth maybe six months later and it's worse. So the Lord wasn't speaking against having an emotion and showing that sorrow even in the bereavement of her son. No, it doesn't mean that. But what it does mean, these two words express that she would see something unexpected which would cause her to weep no more. Essentially, he was calling her to exercise faith in him. She was expecting a day of sorrow and a day of mourning, but things would turn out very differently. For having said this, and you'll note who said it in the words of verse 13, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, it's the Lord's who said it. And the Lord gives the idea of sovereignty. He's over all. He's in control of all things. The title expresses his power. The Lord of heaven and earth. Remember Peter confessed Jesus as Lord. The leper confessed him as Lord. So did the centurion whose servant was sick. And now this widow would come to know him as Lord of life and the Lord over death. And he turned to those who carried this young man and the buyer. And without saying a word he simply was to touch it. So as to cause them and the procession to stand still. He caused the funeral to stop. He prevented it from going any further on the road to the cemetery. No ordinary man would stop in front of a funeral procession. No ordinary man would do that. But then men and women, the Christ of the scriptures and the only saviour that we seek to present and uplift before you is no ordinary man. He's the God-man. This was the Christ of God. And he had an interest in the one who was dead. So that he could not allow him to go any further along that road. And can we not say the same is the case with many a one in this meeting house tonight? 
Still without Christ, still without the Savior, God has an interest in your soul. His interest in your soul means that his heart reaches out to you in your lost and in your sinful state and condition, so much so that he puts preachers in your way to show you the way of life, to reveal to you from the scriptures your undone state and condition before a holy God, to remind you that the Lord said, ye must be born again. He puts preachers in your way. But he has such an interest in your soul that even greater than that, he gave his only begotten son to die one day on that cross of Calvary so that he might purchase eternal life, that he might conquer death for all who will trust in him. And no doubt this widow mother looked around and the crowd would have looked around to see what the Lord was going to do next. He merely touched the buyer and it stopped. And you'll notice that the constraint of Christ was seen in the spoken word that he uttered. There's nothing that young man could do to help himself. He's dead. He's lifeless. A corpse cannot do anything of themselves. There's nothing that his mother or her friends could do. And there's nothing that the sinner can do either of themselves nor anyone else. Because sin has rendered you dead in trespasses and in sins. You're helpless to save yourself. And thus notice that it was the Savior who was to speak those powerful words. Young man, I say unto thee, arise. Those were not empty. Those were not pointless words. For they were uttered in authority. It was a command. By the one who is a resurrection and the life. The one who is all power in heaven and in earth. He did not need the power of another. He did not need to call upon the power of God. For he was God manifest in the flesh. This is God incarnate. He commanded the young man to arise from the dead. He was to deliver him from going down to the pit. You know, it's interesting in the original, you can underline this. Christ only spoke six words. Two words to the mother. In the original, only four words to the young man. The most important of all of those words was the last one. Arise. Every time that Christ raised someone from the dead, he spoke with a powerful brevity. Lazarus, come forth! Just three words. That same call, that same power is extended to all who hear the message of the gospel. For his message to your soul tonight, It's found right throughout the scriptures. Some verses briefer than others. Can I remind you of Ephesians 5 and 14. Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. His word is still powerful. 
His word is still as effective. And my dear friend, what the Savior did that day for this son, thank God he's able to do the same even in this meeting. His power hasn't diminished. His power that goeth forth out of it, the word that goeth forth out of his mouth is still as powerful as ever, for it is truth. And he's able to set men free from the bondage of their sin. Tell me, friend, have you known the power of Christ in your life? And only you can answer that. And like this man, show it forth that others may know that you've been with Jesus. And if not, then heed his call this evening, for I tell you, it matters not long how long sin has held you in its prey. The power of Christ is greater. You just think of this. He raised Jairus' daughter to life who had just died. He raised this widow's son who was on the way to the grave. And he raised Lazarus from the dead who had been four days stinking and in his tomb. You see, it doesn't matter how long that sin has held you in its grasp. Christ's power is greater. And some of you are younger and some of you are older. But if you're not saved, you're on that broad road that leadeth to a Christless eternity. Christ is able to call you from death unto life. From the power of God. From the power of the devil unto God. I wonder will you come this evening. The constraint of the master. And the love of Christ constrains me to invite you to come and to tell you of him. But one final thought. That is the confirmation of the miracle. This young man could do nothing for himself. Yet what do we read in verse 15? He that was dead sat up. His ears had been unstopped so that he heard the call of Christ. You know, not even death can prevent someone from hearing the Lord's voice. You read with me John chapter 5. I trust it will come home to you. Verse 25 The Lord's teaching, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of of God, and they that hear shall live. The dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. Verse 28, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in which all that are in their graves shall hear his voice. Now there's a difference between those two verses. And the difference you'll notice as we read those two verses in the first verse, it says, and now. Now is when the Lord's voice is heard in the gospel. Now is the day of God's grace to your soul. But verse 28, you see, is in the final judgment. It's not now. That's when the Lord comes back and all that are in their graves shall hear his voice. Not even death can prevent someone from hearing the Lord's voice. 
I'll tell you something, it's better to hear his voice now and to answer it now than on the judgment day. Because then it'll be too late. You notice his eyes were opened. To see the one who had caused him to live. His lips moved. For having known this miracle of being raised from the dead, he was to speak. One of the first signs of a true conversion is that soul will go forth and confess Christ with her mouth. Romans chapter 10 and 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Remember when Ananias was told of the Lord to go to that house in the straight street in Damascus and to put his hands upon Saul? And Ananias had heard all about Saul and he didn't want to go there. If there's any place that he wouldn't want to go to, it was that place. But you know, in obedience he went because the Lord told him, Behold, he prayeth one of the first signs of grace. The lips move in confession of Christ and in prayer. But the confirmation of this miracle didn't end there. You'll notice that being raised from the dead, he was delivered back to his mother. You know, the Lord didn't draw back from this buyer. He's the Holy One of Israel. And as the Holy One of Israel, he could not be rendered unclean by touching the buyer. Here's something that was forbidden by the Jew. But instead, death was forced to retreat. And it may have been that the Savior scooped this young man up in his arms and he literally gave him back to his mother again. He delivered him to his mother. What joy there would have been at the gate. What joy there would have been in the heart of this mother whose son who was dead was now alive. The day began with sorrow, with sadness. It's turned into gladness. It's turned into rejoicing. You see, that's what the grace, that's what the power of Christ does in the gospel. The soul tonight that's troubled, the soul that tonight is uh, caught up in sin and ensnared by many a sin. They know forgiveness of sin. There's that peace that passeth all understandings. There's that joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. There's a rejoicing from within. That's the change that Christ gives. It was a fulfillment really of Psalm 89 and verse 12. Let me just read it to you. It says this. The north and the south thou hast created them. Tabor and Hermon shall rejoice in thy name. Remember what I said at the start? The city of Nain. It was just before those tree-lined Mount Tabor and beyond that the snow-capped mounts of Hermon. And there's rejoicing in thy name. There was rejoicing in that city that day. But you'll note the fear of God was to fall on all them that day that saw it. Verse 16, And there came a fear in all And they glorified God, saying that a great prophet has risen up amongst us, and that God had visited his people. They had witnessed something that only God can do, raising one from the dead. They had a reverence of the divine majesty, whose power and whose presence they were in the very midst of that day. And dear loved one, if you will not heed the call of the Lord to come unto him, 
and to be saved, then you have every cause to fear. To fear the Lord. Because I remind you of just a few chapters over in Luke chapter 12 verse 4 what it says. I say unto you my friends be not afraid of them that kill the body. And after that of no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed the body hath power to cast into hell. Yea I say unto you fear him. It's the Lord who has the authority to cast the Christ rejecter into hell itself. And dear soul, if you will die in your sins, then that's the judgment that you will experience one day for all eternity. Fear him tonight. You know this miracle caused glory to be brought to his great name. They glorified God. They said, a great prophet has risen up amongst us. They said, God has visited his people. Oh, that a soul would come tonight and that glory would be brought to King Jesus for he alone is worthy. He alone can save. May it be a noise abroad that God has visited this place. For dear loved one, a few years later, a few years just, Mount Calvary and Mount Olivet witnessed a far greater miracle near the gates of another city. For outside the walls of Jerusalem, where the dear Lord was crucified, death had to retreat from the ultimate conqueror. He who is the Word... He came forth in the power of an endless life. Death could not hold its prey. Up from the grave he arose. And Christ has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now you have a decision to make. It's between life and death. It's between sin and the Savior. It's between heaven and hell tonight. What's it going to be? I desire, I pray, that you would be wise and choose Christ. That you'd go home like this young man, delivered from eternal death through the power of Christ. That tonight you would go home in a different crowd. The crowd of those have been born again of God's Spirit. Because dear man, woman, young person, Christ's power is able to save you. He's able to cleanse you. He's able to make you a new creature in Christ Jesus. And what's your choice going to be? May God bless his word to each of our hearts tonight. For his own name say, we're going to st- uh, stand the singing closing 151. And ask the question when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. The morning breaks eternal bright and fair when the sea of diverse shall gather over on the other shore. I wonder...
And the role is called up yonder, will you be there? That's the question. When the role is called, this young man's name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. Do you know your name in the Book of Life tonight? You can ere you leave this house. What's the words as we sing it? 151, let's stand as we do so. we thank thee for the solemnity of the word we can get that picture in our head and our minds the two great crowds meeting outside that gate and oh father we bless thee for the prince of life who has power over the prince of death we thank the lord thy power is still the same thou art able to bring that soul from the kingdom of satan tonight Great translation can take place in a moment of time and be brought into the kingdom of God's dear Son. Lord, will thou speak the word? Will thou, Lord, stop that man, that young person on the road? 
Lord, as you did with this young man going to the grave, stop, Lord, that soul tonight. Cause him to sit up. Cause him to hear thy word. Cause him to look into the face of Christ as never before. That glory might be brought to thy name. And they'll be able to leave saying when the roll is called up yonder, preacher, I'll be there. I'll be there. All because of Christ. Hear our prayer. Part us with thy blessing. Speak on when the preacher's voice is silent. For we pray these things in our Savior's name. Amen.